Hello and welcome to Reactive's Yellow Room. I am Evi Chiori and this week we are starting our podcast with news from Belarus, which certainly is the story of the week. Now, a Ryanair passenger plane was forced to land Timnisk, where one of his passengers, dissident journalist Roman Protasevich, was detained. So, what was the EU's reaction to it and what can we expect on the issue? We are also talking about the European Council Summit and the outcome of the talks on climate and more specifically on the greenhouse gas emissions reductions, what was decided and which were the thorny issues of the talks. On Sunday, Belarus strongman Alexander Lukashenko sparked international outrage by dispatching a fighter jet to intercept a Ryanair flight from Athens to Vilnius, carrying the wanted reporter Roman Protasevich and his girlfriend Sofia Sapega. Of course, this action provoked the furious reactions of the world leaders and the EU who described it as an act of terrorism. To shed some light on this story, I am joined today by Georgi Gotev, Euroactive Senior Editor. Thank you, Georgi, for being with us today. Now, going to further details, I would like to ask about the legal side and the diplomatic aspect of this action from the Belarusian leader. What happened is that uh, the shock was immense and this reverberated uh, during the EU summit. It sounds like a very bad uh, spy novel or a very bad spy film where you have uh, an airplane taking off from one EU country, going to another EU country, uh, being hijacked uh, by Belarus is called the last dictatorship in, in Europe, by a dictator with some military jets flying, possibly with the danger of downing uh, the airplane, uh, removing uh, a national uh, in, uh, in Minsk uh, from, from the airplane. The shock is, is huge. Of course, there is, there is nothing legal in, in all this. It's all against the law. Uh, if some procedures uh, have been used, they have been misused uh, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, bomb alert and things like that. Uh, in any case, uh, uh, this was uh, uh, borderline and uh, this has completely eclipsed uh, other issues uh, at the attention of EU leaders at the summit. And what was the EU's reaction and what was decided on Monday's summit, where Belarus turned out to be the main topic of the meeting in the end? Well, uh, sanctions uh, were decided. I mean, uh, w- one of them, I think, is slightly controversial. It is to deny uh, uh, the right of access uh, to EU countries of uh, the national carrier of uh, Belarus, which, uh, in my view, at least... Uh, Uh, depletes uh, citizens of Belarus of uh, a chance to to reach to to, to Europe. Maybe it serves the the regime of uh, Lukashenko because I think his interest is in closing his country even further. But anyway, that was one of the decisions. Another decision was uh, basically airlines from Europe stopped uh, overflying uh, Belarus. So this this has become a paria state uh, kind of no man's land. I think it's much safer not to overfly uh, Belarus, although it could cost uh, more uh, for the airline companies, but uh, it's safer because you never know. You never know. Uh, the way this operation was conducted shows that uh, there are some hit groups ready to, to act 
as soon as there is a signal, uh, this can happen again. Mm -hmm. And of course, while all the EU leaders are adopting the same line when it comes to their response to Lukashenko's government, Hungary remains silent. Why is that? And do we have any reactions on that? Well, uh, Hungary uh, has uh, vetoed a number of uh, decisions in matters of uh, foreign affairs uh, recently. It has kind of become the trademark of uh, Viktor Orban uh, to play his, his own game and uh, to make EU decision-making more difficult. Uh, is he playing the game of Mr. Putin? Uh, maybe. I mean, uh, we, we can ask ourselves, uh, but this is a fact. I think uh, with respect to Belarus, uh, uh, Viktor Orban doesn't have stakes there. Uh, but um, again, uh, if, if he wants to be silent when, when everybody else uh, express uh, their outrage, uh, it probably means something. Mm -hmm. And one of the most interesting aspects of this is to see if the EU will take additional actions. And if that would be the case, what can be expected? More sanctions can be decided. Uh, Belarus is a country which reminds of uh, the communist times when Almost all the economy was state-owned. They have state-owned enterprises. It should be relatively easy to sanction those state-owned enterprises because uh, they are the power base of uh, Lukashenko. I think uh, EU leaders uh, should make um, every effort to have uh, Roman Protasevich free and also to investigate every detail of this act of uh, state terrorism this act of piracy. And finally, another thing that I would like to mention is the fact that there is a video showing uh, Roman Protasevich, who is carrying bruises and describes that his rights are not violated and he is treated very well by the authorities. So, what is your take on that, Georgi? This is outrageous. Uh, he's a political prisoner. Uh, the statements were made uh, under duress and we can see uh, his face uh, bearing some, some marks of this duress. What I think is more important is that um, the regime of uh, Lukashenko is so afraid of, of a journalist, of a 26-year-old young guy. Uh, it means that our profession is, is important. Uh, it means that uh, uh, we have a role to play also here in, uh, in Europe, in our societies, which look more civilized, but we have also a lot of corruption. And we have had uh, cases when journalists have been murdered in Slovakia, in Malta. The situation with the media is, is, uh, is extremely bad in a country I know well, in, in Bulgaria, for instance. So one of uh, the lessons uh, from, from this story is that uh, journalists are important because dictators fear them. I hope that this becomes... Uh, this becomes a symbol of our profession. You're listening to Euractiv's Yellow Room. And if you want to expand your knowledge on other EU policy fields, you can listen to our Digital Brief podcast and AgriFood Brief podcast. You can find them on your favorite podcasting app. And remaining on another crucial meeting, this time of the European Council, one of the things the EU leaders talked about was climate. 
To hear more on that, I spoke with Euractiv's reporter on energy and environment, Kira Taylor. So Kira, EU leaders discussed how to reach greenhouse gas emissions reduction goals. What was their conclusion? EU leaders met to discuss how to reach the new minus 55% target for 2030. However, they really didn't get that far. I mean, we weren't expecting much anyway because they're waiting for the Commission to put forward these 12 pieces of legislation in July. And until they do that, the European Council can't really make many decisions. However, we were expecting a bit more from the draft conclusions that were leaked. We were expecting them to at least reaffirm their commitment to the current effort-sharing regulation targets, which are basically uh, targets for certain sectors to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions. However, that wasn't there. So really, it was a bit of an anticlimax. Now, moving on to other topics around the meeting, one issue that was discussed by the Polish and the Czech leaders was the true coal mine in Poland, which is located near the Czech and the German border. And the mine has been accused of damaging the environment. So what has been happening there? So this is a hugely complex story that has gone on for about a year and it's just begun to catch media attention. So like you said, the Churov coal mine is on the Czech and German border. Its license was extended to 2026 last year and the Czech Republic are now contesting that, saying it's draining their water supply. Mm -hmm. The Court of Justice of the EU uh, said the mine should be closed to avoid negative effects on groundwater in the Czech Republic, while the court case which the Czech Republic are taking against Poland is ongoing. However, Poland are keeping the mine open. Um, the state-owned company has said that closing it will have drastic impacts on the region and on Poland's energy supply. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a really it's an evolving story, but it's really quite tense around the border at the moment. And, and I assume that there are different interests involved there and from different countries as well. So what was discussed by the Polish and the Czech Prime Minister and what does the EU have to do with it? Yeah, so I think the first thing to remember when we're looking at this case is that it's just so unique. This thing really doesn't happen. Uh, EU countries really shouldn't get to the point where they're taking each other to court. Uh, the European Commission is pretty much staying out of it. They gave their opinion on the cross-border dispute and then sort of stepped back and are now saying it's up to the court. Uh, the Czechs considered that the European Commission's opinion wasn't enough and so it ended up in court. Uh, but during the European Council summit, we saw the Polish Prime Minister meet the Czech Prime Minister. The Polish Prime Minister then came out saying, oh, it's all fine, the mine will stay open, the Czechs will drop the case. The Czech Prime Minister responded and said that wasn't the case at all. So since we've pretty much worked out that there is an agreement being drafted between the two sides that could see uh, millions of euros um, be spent by the Polish government, the Polish region and the company mm -hmm. to uh, resolve the situation. But we could still be waiting a couple of weeks for that to come about. And it's worth mentioning that the mine is still in operation. So what have the reaction been like on the ground? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, this is people's lives. So on the Czech side, it's their water. And on the Polish side, it's their livelihoods. So there is a lot of tension around that. There. there have been roadblocks between Poland and the Czech Republic. Um, EU flags were taken off the city council building. There's a bit of an anti-Czech and an anti-Brussels mentality going on. Um, but it's really hard to get facts in this case. Uh, campaigners criticise a lot of the company's claims on how many people the closure would impact and the amount of energy it supplies to Poland. Um, and also we have this other issue that 
coal just needs to be phased out at some point. Mm -hmm. And that brings us into the Just Transition Fund, which the European Commission are basically, well, they haven't said it, but they're very strongly hinting that the continuation of this tour of mine um, until 2044, as the Polish government wants, could cost the region its Just Transition Fund. And I mean, that's a completely separate element to this story, but it just makes the whole thing more complex because you're dealing with these people's futures and no one really knows where it's going to go or where their futures are going to end up uh, being. Thank you, Kira, for being with me today. And our time is up for this week. I am Evi Kiori and this was Euractiv's Yellow Room. We will be back on your feed next week. Until then, visit Euractiv.com for the latest news and don't forget to listen to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Thank you very much for listening. See you soon.